Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are those of the hosts, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by myself are my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we have special guests, Major Vic Castro and Corporal Will Crum, the Innovation Challenge winners. Can you give us a quick intro? Hey, my name is Victor Castro. I'm currently the communications officer with the 15th Mu. My background in software stems from being a math major at the Naval Academy and then studying computer science at Naval Postgraduate School. I've had interesting opportunities to put these skills to use in a place where officers aren't very technical in nature, per se. I've had the opportunity to get hands on the keyboard while also applying leadership. Uh, my name is William Crum. I'm an active duty corporal out of Camp Pendleton. I'm a uh, data systems administrator by trade, but I'm a passionate Marine and I'm passionate developer by night. Awesome. Thank you both for joining us. So several episodes ago, we had General Malik on and she announced the innovation challenge and said she wanted Marines to code us towards success. And so you all won that challenge. Tell us about kind of soup to nuts. How did this start for you? And what made you want to enter? And, and then kind of talk us through how did you work together as a team? Like how does a corporal just randomly find a major and code some goodness? Hey, I'll start us off here. I initially heard about the Innovation Challenge during the working group that was actually going for the Innovation Challenge. So I got a little bit of a head start before the MAR admin eventually came out. Once I saw the MAR admin come out and the terms of the project, I reached out to my command and my boss, my battalion commander at the time, was very supportive of it and wanted to really make a heavy push on it. So initially, I started making some of the PowerPoints that we needed to submit as part of the project. And simultaneously, I started looking out for people that would be good, a good fit for the team and seeing who in the MEF would be able to work on software. And part of the reasoning behind setting up the team the way we did, I worked with Defense Digital Services on a project and I saw how they put together their teams. And so when I went around the MEF looking for people with different attributes and experience levels, I tried to make sure that we had people that knew back-end engineering and some front-end engineering, some people with other talents like JR on our team who knew cybersecurity really well, and just a group of Marines and people with different ranks, different experiences. And for us, that diversity was really important. And for Will, he was off doing something in another part of the MEF. And I went to my command when I found out that we had a coder in 9th Combat Battalion who was TAD somewhere else. And I was immediately like, we need to get him back here. We need to have him helping us on our projects. And pretty much two weeks later, this was while I was a company commander, Will was in my company and able to really apply his skills as a software engineer on a daily basis. That's awesome. That's a, that's a really cool story. So, uh, Will, kind of telling that, us that same story from, from the other end of the spectrum, so please, please tell me you were out on like, uh, you know, like cleaning detail or something like that. And someone being like, do you know the code? 
Like, how, how did that sound on your side? Or were you kind of following this? And were you waiting for the, the swan song to play for you? No, so I, I originally saw the Mar admin and it pushed out and it like curated to exactly what I wanted to do as a Marine. I joined hoping to get into the 0673 platform and uh, that field, but I saw it um, and then I immediately started following the links, reaching out to anyone I saw in the point of contacts. Um, eventually, I got in touch with uh, Captain Colin Chu on the Marine Coders. I started to develop a bunch of different things, started to collaborate with people on Platform One. And that's when I like I got connected with uh, Victor and uh, he helped me get back to Ninthcom as I was able to start developing. But I had to do my time on ship and then come back. But it, it was a very, it, it was perfectly timed, but I read that Mar admin and I just started emailing people. So what made both of you, and we can start this time with, with Will, what made you choose GCSS? Was this a a struggle born of pain that the two of you suffered through? Was this kind of like an envelope that was handed to you and said, if you're the greatest, you can do this? Or or how did that look like? Why did you choose to do something around GCSS? So we didn't actually choose to work with GCSS. Um, Originally, we, we wanted to develop a software for Marines. And so Victor came up with several solutions that he thought was required, but we didn't actually choose um, the application. A board of members at McBoss and including some of the Marine coders told us what our problem set was going to be. And then we had to create the software solution. Oh, awesome. And then, so Vic, when you, you took that envelope and you were told, okay, we're doing this. Talk, talk to me about your mindset. Like what went through your head? Did, did you have to struggle through this or were you just like snapping your finger with ideas? I think that goes two ways. When I found out that the GCSS Marine Corps problem was the one that was selected for one MEF to continue, I think my stomach dropped a little bit. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I can't escape GCSS Marine Corps as much as I try. I did my thesis work at Naval Postgraduate School on the GCSS Marine Corps database. And then I worked for two years at McTissa trying to find root causes to performance issues surrounding GCSS Marine Corps. And the genesis for this idea came, honestly, being a company commander and noticing that I had to dedicate a Marine to work specifically on GCSS Marine Corps issues and not just clerical work with GCSS Marine Corps, but data comprehension issues as well. I had to devote one Marine to look at spreadsheets and charts every day and prepare presentations. Also, we can have something to present to our boss, usually in the form of a maintenance readiness brief. But we devoted a lot of manpower to this. She devoted the Marine that I'm speaking about every day. And once a week, she would have a meeting with the maintenance section in the battalion. And then once a month, we'd have a meeting with our battalion commander. And I just I didn't know very much about GCSS Marine Corps per se, but I knew that there was something inefficient about the process. I didn't know what the solution was going to look like immediately, but I knew there could be a better way to do this than what we were doing at the moment. And I think as any good idea, we had the genesis knowing that we wanted to solve the reconciliation problem that we were observing with GCSS Marine Corps. But as we went through the 
the innovation challenge and especially working with Will and the other members of the team and having Will's interactions with users, we had different parts where we ended up pivoting a little bit on our, our idea to make sure that we were looking at more than just what my perspective is as a commander, for example, and what the Marines were actually doing on a daily basis and how software could help improve their lives and improve their workflows. Awesome. And uh, for the listeners at home, if you don't know what GCSS is, GCSS is where we do all of our accountability and maintenance. So a system that is like fairly important uh, to us as a core. So anything you can do to make that process more efficient, obviously is a big deal. So kind of transitioning from there. So we know how you got there, what you started working and what that went. So if, if next year for the innovation challenge, since you guys are the winners and it pays to be a winner, if they let you write what is going to go in the envelope for next year, what do you think is the problem you wish Marines would have to ch- would have to solve for an innovation challenge? And why would you put that in the envelope? And, and Will, why don't you start us off? I honestly think um, continuing continuing to develop solutions that we already have problems for. And there's a lot of different things where we can start doing that. But just taking what we have and then developing not necessarily just a whole different micro application challenge or like an application, but developing onto the things that exist. We saw with this problem set that Marines were already already using access databases and other things to fix their problems, but definitely having maybe a longer term challenge to continuing to focus on the problems at hand instead of trying to make a new application um, would be better. I think maybe the next application challenge should be a application team, not necessarily just a 60 day challenge. Hey, Will, like that, that is pretty insightful, man. And I just got to be very direct here, right? Problems to be solved are the way you start working backwards to elegant software development solutions, right? It's not, hey, I got this really cool tech or technique that I want to apply that you routinely bring to an organization that gets resourced, right? It's, it's the organization's problem sets that you can uniquely apply your talents to that generally get resourced. So uh, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that you guys picked um, GCSS Marine Corps, even though like I sort of agree with, with Vic um, that, you know, there's a lot of people looking at this problem, but people at the tactical level uniquely looking at from their perspective, I think is awesome. Um, but I, I do agree with you that, the problems that the Marine Corps currently have uh, or has are very, very broad in nature. So we should just select those problem sets and then apply technology solutions to them and then keep moving on through those problems kind of iteratively. So I, I really think that's extremely insightful, right? And especially coming from you and, and to the listener audience that we have, like, think about the problems you have, not the cool tech that's on the shelf. Technology itself is not the problem solver. It's just an enabler. So uh, awesome answer, in my opinion, that question. I'll turn it back over to you guys. I'd like to jump in on this because I think that was a very insightful response by Will. And I think it demonstrates a little bit of what we have in our organization when it comes to information services. Specifically, we tend to buy monolithic services that can do everything. And that stems a little bit in part due to the waterfall nature of the way that we approach acquisitions in the military. Whereas in 
in private industry and kind of like what you were talking about, Rich, where it's people look at a problem and say, I need to, I need to find out, I need to solve this problem. And it's not like they're starting from scratch a lot of times. In many instances, there are APIs accessible to different data sources that people can leverage. Whereas for us, getting access to that data becomes an obstacle and a hurdle to to our innovation. And one of the things that we saw while we were doing this project is that really Will and I and Evan and JR and John, we had a lot of technical talent, but what we noticed is that Marines were out there doing things. We ran into a lot of instances where people had access databases and were doing things with Visual Basic and trying to do the best with what they knew and with what resources they had. I think this is a, a great ground up effort that we're doing by saying, look, in the Marine Corps, we do have Marines that that have experience and technical talent with modern software development processes and combining that with what the marines are trying to solve is a really great approach to to really do innovation and not have just one giant product that solves it all because ultimately the marines are going to have individual problems that software can help out and as it grows it can grow into a solution that we may not have seen if we took a less iterative approach Awesome. Both great answers. And, and I think uh, we've got a pretty good idea where we can start for the next challenge. Hey, before I hand this over to one of the other hosts, I just had one quick question. Could you, and we'll start with Will, just in your own words, describe for the audience, what did you actually do to win this thing? What did you all code and what does it do? So our application, um, we wanted to develop for Marines and by Marines. So we didn't necessarily pick a technology around the problem. We picked a technology for the user. Um, and what that meant was we sat down with them, we saw what they're doing and any, any Marine is applying an algorithm if they like it or not to fix a problem and to apply and complete a task. We wanted to capture that tasks and specifically it was figuring out how a serialized item is referenced or how does it categorized based on the error. So we took thousands upon thousands of serialized pieces of gear. We calculated it. And what we ended up doing is putting into a graph representative visualization form, a means to understand what they have to do and what errors they have to fix are. So they didn't have to print out a large piece of paper just to see what the issue is. It would automatically be rendered for them. All right. And Vic, was there anything you wanted to add to that answer or any additional insight in, in what you guys did? Yeah, I think Will brings up a good point of what the application does. And I think it could be summarized in two points, data visualization and data comprehension. We observed in our interactions with the user that data visualization was important for commanders, even kind of at the bottom rung, like I was as a company commander, but just as useful as you go up the chain to see what exactly is going on and to see it instantaneously without having to have Marines go and do the work. Then he also hit upon the data comprehension. There's a lot of information in GCSS Marine Corps and there's a lot of work to be done. And this really stemmed from our interactions with some of the users and some of the products they were doing. 
speaking with some of the users in that community, we would simply ask, like, is this something that you would use on a daily basis? And sometimes they would say, well, for me, this isn't necessarily what I do. I need a product that does this, for example. And, and we incorporated that. One of the things that we incorporated was a feature, for example, that allowed you to view all of the modifications needed in your equipment, not just at your level, but at multiple levels. And for everybody listening, when, when I mean levels, I mean, usually in GCSS Marine Corps, you can look at things usually at the battalion level and lower. So anything within your unit, you have access to. So it's a pretty straightforward process to see modifications at a battalion. But if you're at a regiment or division or for the MEF, if you want to compile all the modifications that are that need to be done within the entire division or the entire MEF, that becomes more of a challenge of gathering all those resources. And so based upon the feedback that we had, we used this modern DevSecOps and software practices to implement that functionality so that users would actually feel comfortable using it on a daily basis. So I think I'm going to double click on that for a second because it's time to nerd out as far as I'm concerned in this question and answer period here. I, I hear you guys are pretty big open source fans as you built this product. Um, and we've talked a great deal about open versus closed source on this podcast. And I want to know if you think that going open source is the right call, not only for your development in this particular challenge, but do you think that open source tools are the answer for scaling this to a larger, uh, you know, Marine Corps wide initiative? I think I can answer that. And I would also say I think open source already relatively exists within the government um, with large share drives of PowerShell scripts um, with several different platforms like Platform One, what McBoss has and other things. It already does exist. But giving Marines the right repositories and right software to do that would make an impact. Myself and the first and second and third MEF team each created a solution for users that are not being utilized anymore. Well, but what we can do is if we had that open source at any level, tactical or uh, deployed network can implement our solution just because it exists there already. I know open source has helped me in tons of way with the current project I'm working on as those libraries and those packages are open source and I can modify it and fix it for myself and then everyone there. And that same creating government curated solutions and allowing that into the open source community, not necessarily public open source, but government open source communities, we can fix a lot of issues, Department of Defense wide. And I'm a big proponent of open source as well. I think there's a hesitation to open source within the government because the connotations that people associate with open source make it seem like the wild, wild west. When in actuality, if we were to implement open source, in the government, it would be coupled with a lot of automation as well. So there would be a lot of upfront work being done to ensure that we have a secure environment. And so when a user comes in, it would be built upon a foundation that is automated and secure. And I think importantly in the government, auditable. So it's not like people would just come in and do random work on it. People would go in, take feature requests, user stories, whatever the case is, and we'd be able to leverage 
the talent that we have across the Marine Corps, regardless of location. And that becomes a powerful enabler for us in government. That is what gives us the ability to take our distributed workforce that we have all over the world. And that is something that few people, for example, in private industry have the ability to do of people from all different backgrounds and positions all over the planet in different areas. That That's something that people strive to do. Those are what large companies want to get to the position to do, to be able to help worldwide populations. And we have it automatically in the Marine Corps and in the Department of Defense, just based on what we do. And so I think if we start embracing open source, understanding that with open source also comes good security and modern industry practices, that's one of those things that will help us gain some parity with private industry and maybe propel us in certain fields as well. Hey, thanks, Vic. Yeah, I so I, in the interest of time, I want to kind of move us on from uh, from your guys' thoughts on that because I, I, I think everybody on this cast is huge open source fans. But uh, um, I also agree with the uh, with with both of your logic on you know, there. There's some things you want to, from Will's perspective, that we want to share internal to the government, and then there's some things that we just want to be better at, right? That we can pull from open source repos that are out there on the public internet. You know, assume we pull them into our repos, do a little bit of analysis on them, and then push that code into our repos. Um, linking all the repos, uh, internal to external, is probably not the best thing, but uh, but uh, I agree. Like using that software and that code is huge uh, from an open source perspective. Uh, and then, like to, you know, I guess to that end, because we're talking about a little bit of a challenge there with like doing work in the government using open source tools. I kind of want to understand what your biggest challenge was from a technical infrastructure perspective. And, and kind of what I mean by that is just like the mechanisms you use to build and deploy code. Because um, I think that's like a super interesting topic to talk about, especially on this cast. And, and I think our, our listeners would love to hear that. So what I'm interested to hear is your thoughts from the trenches on building and the code deployment process. Like what say you guys on that? And I'll kick it over to Will first. For me personally, uh, what saved me the most was open source documentation about the services that do exist. Uh, we used McBoss's pipeline, which included uh, Concourse and Tanzu. And specifically, I never had experience with either one of those, but open source documentation to explain how I can get my piece of code into there. And then also setting the correct variables or configurations I needed to apply with the application software development stig was almost like complete, like amazing just because how documented all those procedures are. And I think if we implemented that into an open source way where not only our application, but the technical capabilities in a controlled environment, it's going to be helpful for anyone that's trying to build upon that. Yes. I guess uh, to, to dovetail off that a little bit too, well, like, you were able to do this right from like your, you know, government furnished device, right? Um, or no, right? Like, so I think, I think this is one of the questions I have is just like your ability to accept, you know, the accessibility of this, of the code repos and the software building tools through what you have, you know, given to you out of the gate. Like, you guys are technical professionals in the Marine Corps, right? Like, you work in a technical MOS. 
So imagine somebody who had technical skills, but just happened to be an 03 series infantryman and was like, hey, my infantry platoon had this problem. I really need to get my ideas. I know how to code. I know how to script. I just happened to do that to, to Will's earlier point about like moonlighting in certain ways as an application developer. Like, can you guys talk to me a little bit about that? Like, that's what I mean by challenges, like from your infrastructure perspective, not just like the the coding platform that you worked on, which is the Marine Corps, you know, business operations support system or McBoss. But like, what challenges did you guys have to like actually get the code into code repos? I, I can also answer that. So f- for instance, VS Code, one of the most commonly used uh, IDEs was not al- uh, on the devices that we were allowed to use. We personally had to log into a VDI that was connected to a different environment, which was also not working because at the same time we were supposed to try and to build our application, we were also supposed to get our environment set up but we didn't have permissions to do so. So it was a lot of collaboration from our side and everyone's side, as not only were they building a DevSecOps environment, but we were building an application on that DevSecOps environment that didn't exist yet. So, so thanks, Will. Like I, I, and, and the purpose of me asking these questions is not to like poke the Marine Corps in the eye, right? It's just, it's to educate people that even our, like, our top talent that have, they're in technical MOSs. They know what they need to do. They have the skills to code. It's not readily ubiquitous yet for them to be able to do that. So like Vic, I'm really interested to get your opinion uh, from you know, a leader in this space as well as a- actually a practitioner of code building and deployment. Yeah, I like those comments. And I think it's interesting because those comments specifically about it being a poke in the eye, because I feel like sometimes in the Marine Corps, we want to get everything kind of done perfectly the first time around. We want to plan, detail planning, and get it out. I actually like the way that we went about doing this because I don't think I don't think this application challenge was so much so for the product as it is for how do we get Marines to be able to code. And that growing pain was valuable. It was valuable for McBoss to go in and see how do we get Marines the ability to code? Because at the beginning of the challenge, those tools weren't necessarily available. And I think those failures needed to happen in order to progress us to the point where now on the software center, I think there is a, a Microsoft Visual Studio on there and other things and access to GitLab and things like that. And without those opportunities for failure to see where Marines are having those struggles, I don't know if we would have been able to progress towards where we are without some of those initial struggles. So I think overall the Marine Corps was able to learn from some of these from some of these lessons. Yeah, so that that's epic, right? Like so the the ability, yeah, I quote this uh <laughs> this phrase by former President Roosevelt all the time, right? The the credit goes to the man that's actually in the arena, right? Man, woman, insert, you know, your pronoun there. But once we actually start doing these things, we're going to learn, right? But but the this I think the Marine Corps is phenomenal at looking the dragon, right, from the from the commercial, uh, the recruiting commercial in the face and running at it with a sword or a cable in your mouth. But like we look at technology problems and we're like, oof, that's really hard. Maybe we should wait a decade until somebody else figures this out and then jump on it, right? And I would say treat technology problems just like the dragon, right? 
grab your M16, your M4, your K bar, your M9, whatever, and just run at the thing and see what happens, right? So, uh, so thanks, guys. Really appreciate those comments. And I think that was a really valuable comment as well, in the sense that we're learning how to work in some of these technical teams while we're doing that. And the things that Will was talking about is important because we're taking that next step in the Marine Corps from having hobbyist coders to professional coders that are capable of providing reliable, secure code in a modern way. And that's not just something that happens overnight. There are lessons that we need to learn. It's not just about going in and and coding. I think coding is probably 50% of what we're doing. The other 50% is how we're working on infrastructure, how we're looking at security, how we're looking at the design, how we're looking at architecture, how are we working in a team? How are we pushing out code? What do we need to do? Where's our staging environment? How do we transition from staging to production? All of these challenges are things that, at least in the Marine Corps, we haven't thought of at an institutional level for our Marines that have the ability to code. And so getting us together, providing us those tools, and then letting us see how we're working through that will eventually get us to the point where we can reliably and consistently push out code that's ready to ship for production. I also want to add in here that all the stuff that we're talking about is consistent concepts of what we see in in the civilian sector around going and just getting something done, right? Failing fast through the process. I think it can be very difficult to walk into a room of leaders or decision makers in the Marine Corps and say, hey, I need access to this very specific tool that is used by millions of software developers around the world. And I also need access to uh, you know, this thing called Tanzu that you've never heard of and can't even spell. And also I need to make sure that I have access to the appropriate levels of access in GitLab and that I can share that with only very specific people. Like all of a sudden the eyes are just going to gloss over, you know, and they're going to start thinking about like, man, I'm really hungry for lunch and things like that, where if you have a mandate like this and you have an actual mission that you're going to accomplish and you have executive backing or, you know, the, the, the challenge from the CG, it's very easy to say, no, no, here's the specific obstacle that I need to overcome. And then to take that very, very applicable lesson learned from this particular element and say, and this is the standard going forward. And I've already blazed this trail for the next team that's going to come in here for the next year's challenge or the next evolution of this event and say, okay, we've already solved that particular problem. And you were probably able to do it far faster than you would have without this particular mission and plan. And so just keep, keep kicking butt on this sort of thing and keep pushing the envelope because Vic, I think you're absolutely right. We've got to get to a point where we've got these standards in place and we have sort of the playbook for how to get started on this. We're, we're not having to, uh, you know, try to figure out how to get a, an IDE installed on a government laptop like that. That's some, that's some JV challenges to overcome. We got to get ahead of those. And speaking of getting, you know, access to modern tools, uh, specifically, are there challenges that you still have identified that you think you still need to get access to or, or particular pieces that you don't think you were able to solve in this particular challenge that we need to solve that are maybe, I don't know, low hanging fruit or alligators close to the boat that you think will help you if you had to do it all over again? I'll start us off on that one. Access to tools is important. Access to an environment is important, but software development doesn't happen in a vacuum. A lot of times we use things that have already been built and build upon it. And I think as an institution, what it can do to enable the marine coders that we have is provide reliable access to existing code infrastructures, to secure code infrastructures. 
I think the foundations that we have, our pipelines, need to have dependency scanning so that when we're using any type of library, we can confidently assume that what we will be producing for use within the military has already been vetted to a certain extent and won't open us to vulnerabilities that we could reasonably have foreseen by using secure methods of software development. All right, Vic, I I get that. So then, and super plus plus to dependency scanning and figuring out how you're going to scale these things up. Will, do you think that that covers it kind of to your extent or you want to add some stuff there? I would say we're definitely in the right direction, but the collaboration platform is more important than the tool. So we should keep pushing to strive to provide these software solutions and software DevSecOps things, but definitely having a collaboration community to consistently help out each other and to develop a solution for any problem, not just one problem, is what we should be going for. So when you talk about that collaboration element specifically, like in reading through some of the documentation that you guys have shared out, the term technical teams keeps coming up in things that I'm reading about in the Marine Corps and in the ways that we're self-organizing around this. Can you give me some input on, on how you feel that technical team or what that means to you versus what it might mean to somebody out in the civilian world like myself? I'll start that one off. I think it working in technical teams will have different perspectives based on where you are. For example, as a company commander and now a mu camo, I might look at technical teams a little bit differently than Will, who's a junior NCO really working in the trenches. But regardless of where we are in terms of our rank and position, technical teams have something in common. And first, I think we got to look at the frameworks that we're using right now. We kind of silo our capabilities together and then piecemeal those capabilities to solve problems. I think the approach they take in industry where you have a product development team where there's the focus on the user and the user's need and you're building something to do that and it's an iterative approach and you're there's this feedback loop that helps people do things better. And so when we translate that into working in a technical team, the way I see that in the Marine Corps is taking a cross section of the different competencies that we have and a trying to apply that iterative approach where it's not just doing our daily things, although some of those things are important, maintenance is important, training is important, but to what end? And for us, we should have, even if you're not doing software development, kind of a product in mind and taking that cross-competent team to, to solve things, enable them, give them the authority to find problems and and find solutions. And I think with that diversity, working in a technical team with frameworks that are known to produce results in private industry, applying that into the military, I think can generate a, a lot of readiness and just a lot of solutions, really. And I just want to add in here as well, this is definitely an area where you take those cross-functional teams, the right people together to get the right job done, and you make sure that that's put together with kind of like Will talked about with the collaboration platforms where the end users both know what you're doing in what priority and then they know when you're done with these actual things because the kind of the PR campaign and the understanding of what it all means and the prioritization is wickedly important. 
Uh, and I think that's uh, an often overlooked or, or not as heavily invested in portion. I think part of the success that we were able to have in the team earlier on, there was a question on like, what did we do that helped us win? And really it was working as a technical team, having the different diversity that we had, understanding where we were going and then applying frameworks. So for example, in our team, we used a combination of Scrum and Kanban. And so we had an idea of the work that we needed to do. As we were doing the work, we were able to make changes based on what was really happening and able to quickly adapt to our plan. And by using a combination of Scrum and Kanban, since in this competition, we still had our regular day jobs that we had to do, we were able to generate and maintain tempo. And with the product in mind, Every day it was like, all right, well, what's something on the board? Let's just tackle something on the board so that eventually when we get to our next demo portion, we have something and then we can build upon it and grow and do more. And for our listeners who have never done Kanban, you should go do it because it's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, uh, do you have anything to offer there as well? Um, if not, fine, but um, I, I, I'm going to rant for a second here about about Kanban and Scrum, but uh any thoughts from your perspective on, on that second will be that. more than a second, by the way. So you better get it in. I, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, prepare yourselves. Everybody get a drink. So I really think that technical teams can mean a lot. When I was first uh, sort of given the problem set, I was given a Python environment and then I was like, okay, tackle this GCSS problem. And then I literally was like, what is GCSS? And so I think as uh, Victor was saying is like the collaboration between not only a bunch of comm nerds, but the collaboration between the individuals who have the problems is almost a necessity, um, especially because they are the experts so we should collaborate with those experts let's make sure they have input at every step of the way so we create a, a solution for marines and by marines yeah so will that thank you for that i mean that just teased me up kind of like perfect here so like we've talked i think a lot about development operations um on the cast in the past like, i mean we had the godfather on right gene kim came on the cast talked about <laughs> getting to development operations and then doing it securely, right? Uh, so what I wanted to kind of rant about for more than a second, as John pointed out, is you, doing things like Scrum, it's important that you just don't have the software and systems developers on the team, right? To both Vic and Will's point, right? The customers need to be there because to Will's point, they're the experts, right? We as technology professionals tend to look at ourselves as the SMEs because we have the technical skills to translate their problem into code and then deliver them some product that helps that problem be solved faster, right? Or in some innovative way that's less uh, human intensive, right? But I, I have to just double click on the point that both, you know, Vic and Will are making here that this team concept, this people-centered problem solving is what wins the fight, right? It, it, it's not the technologies, it's the people. Having the diverse team, as, as Vic talked about, like even diversity among your coders, not just in the coding languages that they can you know, develop, but like their backgrounds, what organizations they were part of. Like just looking at the Marine Corps and the Marine Air Ground Task Force, it's probably smart that if you're talking about something like GCSS Marine Corps, that you potentially have somebody from the division 
the wing, the MLG, because all of them use that tool differently, right? So like just understanding that diversity, it's not just meant to be like a cultural diversity, which you should have, right? In the Marine Corps, just by its nature is culturally diverse at whatever percentages you look at based upon our, you know, actual standings and record keeping. But like having the diversity of people coming from different functional organizations in the Marine Corps is like super, super important, right? Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention is, is this concept of Kanban, right? Visualizing work. Like, like Vic talked a lot about the solution they provided. And one of the things he talked about providing was visualization, data visualization, right? Commanders at every level, instead of having to look at numbers and spreadsheets and things of that and making their own, you know, intuitive assessments of things, they can have a visualization that allows a human who's biologically wired to use their sensory inputs as a key thing for both fight or flight responses. Like that's what they did from a GCSS Marine Corps perspective. So when it comes to building the solutions, no matter what the warfighting function is, why would we not visualize the work? So like Vic says, you come in on top of all the other responsibilities you have in the morning, you do a stand up, you look at the board and say, Oh, here's what needs to be done. Here's what we're currently working on. And here's what's already complete. And the complete stuff, we'll do a retrospective, you know, a week from now, but let's work on the stuff that hasn't been started yet. Or how do we identify the blockers to get things out of what's been working into the done column? Right. So like those things are huge. And there's so many places for Marines to go learn about that. If you, if you don't have that background. So to Kyle's point earlier about Kanban, if you don't know what it is, literally Google it, go to Amazon, pick up a book, right? Same thing with Scrum. Like there's a great book by uh, a gentleman named Jeff Sutherland, literally titled Scrum. Here's the key thing. The guy was an F4 phantom pilot in Vietnam and he wrote a book about Scrum, right? So if you think this isn't apply to warfighting, I think you really, really need to reevaluate your perspective. So uh, having ranted, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll pause there and I'll kind of move us forward to our next question. So, um, you know, both, both of you guys, Will and Vic, you've talked about trying to move fast, right? So the DOD is Department of Defense is notorious for taking forever to analyze requirements, right? Uh, and then apportioning and allocating resources to deliver solutions. So how would you guys recommend fostering buy-in and rapid software development and getting the products into the hands of users quickly? Uh, and this one, um, yeah, I'll kick over to, to, to Vic first, and then we'll go to Will. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. And I think there needs to be a, a cultural change before we go out and start doing the products. And... Being that we're a warfighting organization in the Marine Corps, regardless of all the other things that we do, ultimately, that Marine rifleman at the front is going to be at the forefront of everything that we do. And I think that it's not just necessarily about finding solutions to problems, but it's helping the warfighter understand what we can do for them. And I don't think that happens necessarily in the halls of dc or in some program offices somewhere i think that needs to happen with the warfighter i think the software engineers the talent that we have in the marine corps need to be embedded with the warfighter and looking at what the warfighter is doing and saying things like like wow i didn't realize that you're doing it this way i think software can help you out and once that buy-in happens where the warfighter is being supported 
and they're getting the buy-in from the ground up and one of our critical war fighting capabilities, then I think that accelerates some of the change that we have in other places. And it won't be so much from the top saying, hey, you all need to do this, but it'll come internally with a cultural change saying, no, like we are better because we're doing this. And so we need these resources. We need these Marines with these specific skills. And software is one of those great things where you don't need to wait 10 years for that to happen. As we demonstrated with the application challenge that we have here, if we put some Marines that can code, doesn't need to be very many. It could be a team of two, five people within an organization. And within as early as 90 days or even sooner, you can have products that are supporting the end user in a secure, reliable way. No, thanks, Vic. That that was awesome. Um, I'm actually, that, that leads me to my next question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my thought for a second and just kind of kick it over to Will and see, you know, what your thoughts are on, on this question. Like, you know, how do, how do we go faster, for lack of a better phrase? I would say giving collaboration to the end user and having communication between the person on the very front of a line to the individual at the keyboard, we can really show that software saves lives. And we need to, like Victor was saying, is change the cultural mindset to really prove and show that software is needed and we prove that in so many different ways, but when will we be allowed to be the ones coding that solution? Yeah, no, I mean, this is like, like I said, perfect lead in to, to the final question, I think, for the cast today, uh, which is, you know, do any of you possess the military occupational specialty of cyber application developer, right? 0673. And then the second part of this question is, what are your opinions on the Marine Corps having a development MOS, right? Is it good or bad? And I think before, you know, to give you kind of time to think about that question for just a second, because uh, it's sort of loaded, right? You know, what, what I heard you say before is uh, from Vic's perspective, you know, we need a cultural change where there are people who have coding skills that are at the forward edge of the battle area with the warfighters, right? And so, uh, in my opinion, um, and obviously I'm biased here, like you, you potentially don't need a 10,000 hour coder inside of a rifle platoon, right? But you do need a coder, in my opinion, somewhere supporting those rifle platoons. I don't know what the right place is or the right level, but what I can say is like, if they're there observing their problems, to Vic's point, they could go, they could just make a recommendation, if nothing else. Hey, I think I could fix that with some code to make your life a little better. So, you know, having said that is the lead in, um, you know, because I, I, we kicked it over to Vic first. So I'll do the same time here with this question. Like, what are your thoughts on the, the cyber application developer MOS? And should the Marine Corps have that, good or bad? Over to you, Vic. I do not have the coding MOS, and neither did anybody on, on our team. I do think it's important to have Marines that have that MOS and whose sole purpose is to do that. I think there are a lot of efforts going on in the Marine Corps right now. And one of the things, for example, I went to MPS, I studied computer science from an institutional perspective. I've had a lot of resources committed to my development as an officer, both in terms of my leadership and in terms of my technical ability. And I think this doesn't happen in a vacuum. So in software, 
you don't really do software on your own. Like you do software in a team. And I think where can a software developer be useful? I think it can be useful at the mute, for example. I think we look at a place where we have the entire constructs in a microcosm within one organization. It's our Marine Air Ground Task Force. We have a command element, ground combat element, aviation combat element, and a logistics combat element. We have all the elements of the Marine Corps in one organization. And there are a lot of times where I look at a problem and I go, wow, I think I think with some software, this would free us up to be able to do some other things. But I'm also the Mew communications officer. So by virtue of my job, I can't just go and start hacking away at some code to solve a problem because then my other work doesn't get completed. But if I have a software team with me, I know how to lead a software team. Like I know how to push out a good product. And if I had two people or three people where I'm like, hey, you work on some React code, get with the user to see what would be good for them to, like what type of interface they'd want. You will work on this backend. Here's an architecture diagram that I wrote last night. Start hacking away at this. And if you have a problem, let me know. And we'll talk about it in our next sprint planning session or something like that. And if I had that construct, I think we'd be able to make a lot of progress. Whereas if we didn't have the Marine coders, it's challenging to try to get people with regular day jobs to do things. Because what ends up happening is we just all end up working all hours of the night because that's what we do as software engineers. And more than likely, we're going to burn people out rather than deliver a product that people are going to want to use. I want to support this with every fiber of my being. And I'll say this. If you, the Mew having elements of cyber coders in place sounds awesome. I want personally to push this all the way down to every squadron and regiment across the entire Marine Corps, because I I can tell you from personal experience that you need to be close to the problems you're trying to solve. And once you solve it for one regiment, squadron, or whatever, one S2 shop, one S3 organization, one armory has some piece of software that helps make their lives easier, you spread that out. And then, you know, it's open source so people can go, oh, actually, this isn't an efficient way to do this, or I want to expand this out to X, Y, or Z, right? If people are worried about putting software developers out of a job, spoiler alert, we love that. We want to be put out of jobs so we can go find other jobs to fix, right? And there's never going to be enough of these. I want the Mew commander to basically have to have a bunch of people come to him or the regimental commander to have a bunch of people come and say, actually, these are like 10 things that we want these coders to solve. And they have to, you know, go through a sprint backlog pruning session, right? And they have to be able to say, okay, this one has the most material impact. So we're going to solve that first. And each Mew or each regiment is going to decide upon that in their own set of needs and requirements and circumstances. And so the system will self-select us solving the most important problems at every level if we can push this to every level. And just like you have the CBs or, or any other logistics function, right? Like I need a building built. You don't go tell them how to build a building. You say, I need a building over here to do X, Y, or Z. They go do it for you and they're adaptable and they come in and they are specialized at doing that thing. So anyway, I feel like I'm, I'm channeling my rich knife hand right now. And it doesn't just live in their local repo. It's global. Because we're all really kind of solving the same problems all over the place. So that gets committed to the Marine Corps repo. And then once someone else has solved your problem, that problem goes away and you want to solving the next one. 
Exactly. I want IMF to, you know, send an email from the, I don't know, armory chief at IMF to the armory chief at 3MF and say, hey, check out this piece of software that our team just built. You guys should use this immediately. Or I want someone to PCS from IMF to 3MF and go, hey, we use this awesome piece of software that's going to save us all 30 hours a week of our day jobs. Like, let's do this so that we can go back to doing something way better with our time or something more productive or something more valuable or doing more training or being at a higher degree of readiness. Like, pick the value. You're going to get it through this. All right. With that, I think we are through all of our scheduled questions. So, ladies and gents, it is now time for Kyle's hot, hot take. Give it to us, Kyle. I'm going to steal from Will on today's hot take, which is that the collaboration is more important than the tools. I think we've sort of kicked this around the entire conversation that we've had here today with Vic and Will, but we just need to get the conversation happening and the collaboration happening amongst more people within the Marine Corps. I think that everyone who's ever touched a line of code can look at almost anything that we do in the military and say, I know we could do this in some way better. And we just have to start showing that and be a, be given the opportunities to do so, just like what we're talking about here with this innovation challenge, but also show up and show the fruits of the labors to the higher command elements, to the decision makers to say, we promise this is going to pay off in spades based on any investment that you put into it. So just get the conversation going and don't worry about the tools, right? Like VS Code is just as good as a text editor if you want it to be. Like we can get a lot accomplished with VI and Nano that you don't necessarily need VS Code. But if we are all having that conversation, like the ability to have the conversation about which IDE should we be using is a level of step evolution that I want us all to be doing. Like I will be happy if that is the level of minutia that we're getting into. And Rich, we saw many knife hands. Which are the ones that you settle on? <laughs> yeah, so there was only one singular knife hand for this one. I'm going to channel my inner, uh, you know, Gene Kim on this, and then both of the the cast guests that we have today, and, and that's to say, people are the center of gravity of software development organizations, and the Marine Corps for that matter. And the Commandant just published Talent Talent Management 2030, right? People are the center of gravity. So I think we need to think about that a little bit and figure out how we allow personal connections to happen in the Marine Corps at a scalable rate uh, and one that is self-resourced and not some organization that just pays attention. There's, there's nobody at headquarters Marine Corps that's going to be like, hey, let's bring the software coding development community together because you know what? That's how we're going to beat whatever the threat actor is at the time, right? So um, yeah, I just want to say thanks to both Will and Vic. Like you guys have day jobs. Being on a Marine Expeditionary Unit is not a trivial task, right? So you have multiple competing resources that are warfighting related, and you have individual MOSs that you're you're executing, and you're still finding time because of your passion to write code and solve people's problems that aren't on the MU or that are on the MU, right? So. Um, you know, so I want to say thanks to you guys for, for just, you know, pursuing, delivering Groot, uh, which I love as a system name. I think creative titles for fully qualified domain names are things that should persist. So I'll just throw that out there as a technical thing. Um, but then I also want to say thanks to uh, the executive level leaders in the Marine Corps, right? Uh, uh, former Lieutenant General, or Lieutenant General Reynolds retired and Brigadier General Malak, when they were in the leadership team up at uh, DCI and IC4, they thought through this and, and built this innovation challenge. And then now Lieutenant General Glavy and Brigadier General Matos, like enabling this and, and pushing this forward. 
uh, to allow the the folks in the Marine Corps to to bring these software development skills to bear. Just want to face, say thanks to everybody uh, on that front. And then um, the last thing I'll say is not really a knife hand moment, but just um, use existing resources to solve problems. You know, we'll, we'll talk about not only the Marine Corps Business Operations Support System or McBoss, right? That's a Marine Corps internal initiative, but he also mentioned uh, United States Air Force Platform One, right? Like there are joint coders that are out there. And, and I think sometimes, you know, the, the, the surnames of folks in the Marine Corps, so our last names are not the most important name tape, right? The Marine Corps is the important name tape. And even before that, the U.S. component of the name tape, uh, the one on the left is, is really important. So work through the joint community uh, to, to solve problems with code. So those are my knife hands. Thanks, John. Thanks again for both of you coming on the cast. And dear listeners, thanks for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson, and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review with accompanying comment. And with that, we are out.